Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week 8, day 2 of our study of Isaiah. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Isaiah 27. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God? We want to encounter you through your word. We want to know you more, not just more about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. We'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Isaiah 27, starting in verse 1. In that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great, and powerful sword. Let's pause right there. Again, in that day. So we have to stop and pause and say, okay, what is that day? In the last chapter in Isaiah 26, we started with that, and it became clear by the end of it that we were talking about the end times. We're not talking about some contemporary event to Isaiah or something that happened in the future to Isaiah, but in the past us. We're talking about something that's still yet to come. We're talking about the end times. So with that, it's possible as we start this, the context should make itself clear. But we're going to start, I would start with the assumption that we're continuing on for that day, meaning the same day that chapter 26 started with, but the context of the passage should begin to to become clear. And let me say that very often the, the context is not just the context of Isaiah, but when you look at all of the prophetic scriptures in history, you begin to see these, these time periods where these judgments of the Lord happen, but almost always like the full and final judgments of the Lord are reserved for the end times. And so very often we talk about in that day, we're talking about the end times when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on the earth, literally, physically, that's what we're talking about. But there are are other times. So it's always good to ask the question and then see what the context, you know, shows us. But we also have to look at that context in light of what does the book of Revelation say? What does Zechariah say? What does Jesus say in Matthew and Luke about the end times? All, there's there's tons of Old Testament scriptures. And when you start piecing all these things together, Ezekiel, you know, um, they, they, they paint a very cohesive picture of what this final end times looks like. Very cohesive picture. And so they all use very similar language. They're talking about some of the same events. We're going to see here in our passages this week that we're going to talk about the trumpet that the Lord will blow. It's talked about in Revelation here in Isaiah. Jesus talks about it. Um, it, it's, It's all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. There's coming a moment where the Lord is going to blow uh, a trumpet and and gather everyone together. It's this, this final trumpet. And so we're more than likely here talking about those end times. So let's continue on. We'll go back to the beginning of verse one. In that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. So I want to pause right there. This is an interesting statement. And so there's a couple of different ways to take this. Leviathan is this um, mythical sea monster in Jewish tradition and is is in, in, or in ancient tradition. It's like when a, a ship at sea sinks, it's kind of like if you, you would say Davy Jones locker is a phrase we say for, for people who have sunk and, and drowned and died at sea. If you were on a ship and it, and it 
sank and you died at sea, you're in Davy Jones' locker, right? Um, something similar in kind of Jewish tradition and ancient tradition is this idea of it's Leviathan, this, this sea serpent that brings anyone to the bottom of the ocean at sea when there, when there's calamity or something like that. So for the most part, when speaking of Leviathan, we are in ancient context, we're speaking of something mythical, right? It's, it's the, the thing that we attribute death at sea to essentially. Now, are there places in scripture that talk about Leviathan as if it's an actual sea monster, an actual literal physical sea beast? You know, it's Nessie itself. It's the, the, some ancient thing that no one has ever discovered scientifically. Maybe, yes, there's some passages in scripture that do seem to point to that. And so you can look at that in, in two different ways. But I think what we're going to see here is, is Isaiah does this very often, and he's very explicit about it, is he starts with something metaphorical, and then he transitions and he makes it very practical. He tells you exactly what he's talking about. So you don't have to wonder, are we talking about an actual sea serpent in this case? I believe that what we'll see in this case is we're not actually talking about a sea serpent, but we're talking about this kind of mythical idea that anyone that dies at sea is because of Leviathan. And we're going to continue on here in verse two, speaking about something else that is being used metaphorically, I believe. And Isaiah is going to very quickly in this passage, turn the metaphor and, and tell us exactly what he's talking about as he does very often. Verse two, in that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. Pause there. So this vineyard, is the Lord speaking of an actual vineyard? Like does he, is there's this one vineyard in Israel, right? This, there's this, this one dude who owns this one vineyard and that's the one that the Lord is watching over and he's watering it continually. See here, we're starting to see that this is, this is, metaphorical beginning to what Isaiah is going to be saying. What would the fruitful vineyard be? He's talking about his people, Israel, right? He's talking about his people, Israel. So we're going to right now look at Leviathan and this vineyard as this extended metaphor that Isaiah is very quickly going to begin to explain. So let's continue on verse four. I am not angry. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me. I would march against them in battle. I would set them all on fire. Or else let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Again, he's we're not talking about briars and thorns. We're talking about people, right? But we're going to come to the end of, of Isaiah's metaphors here very soon. Continuing on to verse 5. Yes, let them make peace with me. In the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Okay, right there. Isaiah is the, the metaphor about the, the vineyard. Isaiah is saying the, the vineyard is Jacob. The, the vineyard is Israel. That's who we're talking about here, right? So he almost always makes the metaphors very clear as to what he's talking about. The, the metaphor of the vineyard is Israel. Now we'll continue on here to, to figure out Leviathan. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Has the Lord struck her as he struck down those who struck her? Has she been killed as those uh, were killed who killed her? By warfare and exile, you contend with her. With his fierce blast, he drives her out. 
as on the day the east wind blows. By this, then, will Jacob's guilt be atoned for, and this will be the, fr- the full fruit of the removal of his sin, when he makes all the altar stones to be like limestone crushed to pieces. No Asherah poles or incense altars will be left standing." The fortified cities stands the fortified city stands desolate, an abandoned settlement forsaken like the wilderness. There the calves graze, there they lie down, they strip its branches bare. When its twigs are dry, they are broken off, and women come and make fires with them. For this is a people without understanding, so their maker has no compassion on them, and their creator shows them no favor. So Again, we are talking about some judgment to come against God's people in the future. And and he's specifically talking about the city of Jerusalem, how it's going to be left abandoned so that cattle graze in the city and that the briars that come out of it, they're going to use them for fuel, for fire, right? So this is, is not a good look right now for Israel. Verse 12. In that day, the Lord will thresh from the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you, Israel, will be gathered up one by one. And in that day, a great trumpet will sound. Those who were perishing in Assyria and those who were exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. And here we see that trumpet that the Lord is talking about. He speaks about in Revelation. He's, Paul speaks about this great trumpet that will sound. Isaiah is talking about this one single event where the Lord says, blast that trumpet. The, the angels, the, the heavenly beings in the book of Revelation say, there will be no more delay when this trumpet is sound. The kingdoms of, of the earth will become the kingdoms of heaven. They're going to become Jesus's. He's coming back. This is the moment where Jesus returns and begins to bring perfect righteousness and justice to the earth. And it's talking here in Isaiah about how Jesus is actually going to come. And from Assyria to Egypt, uh, he's going to be threshing, right? He's going to be taking this this sickle and he's going to be threshing and, and basically harvesting. Actually, threshing is, is when you're beating the um, the wheat against the ground and knocking the grains out. But he's going to be coming through and harvesting and the the idea is that he's gathering up everything and he's and he's beating the kernels out and separating the wheat from the chaff so it's this this very violent picture um and the metaphor is that he's he's not harvesting grain he's harvesting people right he's going to be separating the wheat from the chaff same thing in in the book of revelation uh you know and and, and Jesus himself speaks of you know in the end times there's going to be uh, the the wheat and the chaff, the people, the righteous and the unrighteous, and uh, the angels are like, should we go in and 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 pull out the weeds? And he's like, no, not yet. If you pull out the weeds now, you might pull out some of the good things. So let them grow together. Let the wheat and the weeds grow together, and we'll harvest them all at the end, and we'll thresh it. The kernels will come out, and everything else gets burned. So we wait, we let those, we let the righteous and the wicked simultaneously come up and then we harvest them all at the same time. Jesus is speaking about what he's going to do in the end times. It's the same thing that he's talking about here. So going back to Leviathan, why do we start with the metaphor of Leviathan? My answer is, I don't really know. <laughs> I think it's a very odd metaphor to start with. It's, it seems 
it, it, it seems too uh, perfectly clear the way Isaiah has laid this out, that he's speaking metaphorically. He's not actually speaking about some sea monster, although other scriptures like there might have been, who knows, maybe still is some mythical sea creature that takes old ships uh, down to the sea. I don't know. And not, not mythical, but some actual real sea monster. But there's no denying that the idea of Leviathan as this mythical thing that, that is responsible for killing people at sea, that's a, a, a definite thing. And it seems like that's what Isaiah is referring to here. The thing that I find interesting is in the book of Revelation, we taught, we, we see that um, in these last days when Jesus is bringing this justice, for some reason, and I don't understand why, but for some reason, the book of Revelation says when the, the dead are resurrected, it's those who have died at sea will come first. I don't understand why. I don't know why that is. And And in the eternal state, there is no more sea. For us in modern times, people don't fear the sea like they did in these days. Our ships are stronger and better. It doesn't mean that we still don't have ships sink. But compared to ancient times, very few people nowadays die at sea. But that's not always been true. The sea has always been a very fearful thing, right? There's much to be gained through trade. There's much to be gained through going out to sea. But every time anyone has ever, throughout most of human history, gone out to sea, it's like going to the moon, right? There's something out there, and I'm really excited to find out what it is, but I'm half certain I may not come back because that happens so much. And so there's this this historical fear of the sea. Now we go on cruise ships on the sea and go enjoy it, right? It's very, we have a very different relationship in modern times to the sea, but it wasn't even that long ago, a hundred years ago. When, you know, we're talking about, think about like the Titanic, right? And days before that, where, where there's a little bit of a fearful relationship to the sea going back for thousands of years. And so there's something in the Lord's heart connected to this end time stuff where people who've died at the sea, people who are afraid of the sea, the Lord's going to take away all of that fear. And he's going to, for whatever reason, bring those people up that quote unquote Leviathan has taken down this sea serpent. And we could also probably look at Leviathan as like <laughs> demon Satan himself coming and and taking people to a watery grave, the Lord is going to bring judgment on that and bring those people back when that trumpet blasts. And again, this is all throughout scripture. Why the Lord has that relationship to the ocean, I don't fully understand, but it, it seems very clear all throughout scripture. With that, I can't wait to jump into Isaiah 28 tomorrow for the 10-week Bible study. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you then. Hey, thanks for watching the 10-Week Bible Study. If you've enjoyed this, would you consider doing that whole like and subscribe and bell thing you're always hearing people talk about? It really helps other people find out about the show, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you. Thank you.